You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. Hey, Carson Burnett, can, can, can you come give me a hand? Zero prompting of this. Come on, brother. Are you, not, are you allergic to peanuts? Praise the Lord. Come on. Here we go. So I have a couple of routines in my life. Uh, raise your hand if you have routines. Good. We all have them. They're terrible. So um, one of our routines in our household is we wake our kids up every day for school. Or you wake up for school every day, right? And uh, we have to make our children's lunch. I guess we don't have to, I guess we could, we, but we do. We choose to, right? And so typically what happens is my bright and shining little daughter of four gets up and she's just all rays and sunshine. And my grumpy seven-year-old, who's more like a 17-year-old, is kind of just making it life difficult. And so one of us, either my wife or, or myself, gets the task of making lunches. You ever made a lunch before? Fantastic. Good. So you're going to help me make one here in just a second. So what's happening, what's, what usually happens while we make a lunch is we, we like to make our kids PBJs. You like a PBJ? Good. That makes this illustration even better. So here's what I need you to do. I want you to start making me a PBJ really quickly. Okay. So what do you start off with? Bread. Do you eat the loaf or the end? What do we call that? No, you don't eat that? Wasteful. Wasteful. You do? Like grilled cheese kind of deal? Okay, cool. Let's go ahead and just keep making it. We can work and talk, right? Is that a thing? Okay, cool. So we have two pieces of bread. Next step for you. Difficult decision. Okay, here we go. Peanut butter. All right. There's, there's a knife. Did we give you coffee this morning? I mean, okay. So you take the lid off. That's step one. Yep. Step here. It's okay. We got another one. Don't worry about it, brother. Uh, all right. So peanut butter on the bread is, is the, the first one for you. Okay, so at my house, typically I start with a jelly, but there's no right or wrong. It's just my way is better than yours. So um, it's all right. So typically what happens is we, we actually don't use this one, but generally speaking, while I'm making a sandwich, my daughter likes to come up, and she takes uh, sometimes a spoon, usually, honestly, her finger, if we're just being honest, but in case you're ever over at my house and you want some jelly, it wasn't her finger, it was a spoon. Um, and she likes to just get a spoon. Can, can, you, can you demonstrate what she, would you eat this? Is that okay? I don't want to feed you because that would be weird but there's that. And she'll just eat that, right? And it's really not that good like that, right? It's kind of, it's kind of disgusting. And the first couple times she did that, she realized, I don't really like jelly by itself. But if you put some jelly on some toast, right? Now, would you eat, would you eat that real quick? Is that okay? Can you take a bite of that? I mean, it's not toast, it's bread. We get it. But can you pretend it's toast? Is that okay? Yeah, just, but with the jelly part of it. Okay, so that makes, it, that makes it okay. I feel like I'm in the 70s. I can't really see your eyes right now. <laughs> so, okay. Anyway, so jelly by itself, really not that good. Jelly on, let's pretend that was toast. Would that be okay? Okay. So once she's realized she doesn't really like that, her, her second step is to take a spoon, again, her, her finger, but really a spoon, and just eat some peanut butter. Can, can you do this one for me too? Now, is, is that decent? Yes, right? Because peanut butter stands alone. Give, give, give Carson a, a round of applause. Hold on. Uh, you got one more job. You take this with you, and you can eat that while I'm preaching. Fantastic. So, um, so he, here's the deal, and Anna will have to handle this later. I apologize. So um, here's the thing. Jelly by itself is pretty nasty. I mean, I guess you, you may eat it, but you're not normal. 
peanut butter by itself is pretty good. Now, I mean, apples in it would be a win, and maybe some bananas. Definitely a PBJ together is amazing. And here's what we're going to look at this morning, is that true compassion stands by itself just like peanut butter. See, a lot of times when we, when we think about compassion, I think we, we can get lost in this idea that maybe it needs something else. And I'll, we'll unpack this in this text in Jonah, but the reality is compassion stands alone. Compassion is this, this action that doesn't need anything else. And, and, and what I mean by that is compassion, when, when I show it, when I give it to someone else, it doesn't require any sort of response. It's simply a step in recognition that someone is in need and I'm going to step in. And our, in our final sermon in this, this book of Jonah, we're going to see God's compassion on a complete and total blow-up scale display. And my heart and prayer that through these last eight weeks in this sermon series, that it will all come to kind of an ex- exclamation point end and that we will see that the compassion of God in our lives is really the only thing that we ever need. Because when we can gain a picture of that, everything else works itself out. I want to pray for us really quickly. I know we've prayed a couple times this morning, but it's a good thing it's church, right? So let's pray that the Lord will just use this time and his word to penetrate our hearts and to not only just move us in this room, to move us when we leave this room, to be a people of compassion. Join me. God, I want to take this moment and ask that you'll allow me to become less so that you'll become more, that your word will be elevated above any words that I say, that our hearts will be opened to hear from you this morning, that if some of us are coming in this room today or listening online or delayed, God, I, I till the soil and see the glorious. I don't have any slides. This Jonah went out of the and he made a booth for him. He said, "What would become of this? the picture called to preach in that calling? Oh, you don't get away that he." In the base salvation, where I give you a fish, begins to make his city of Nineveh, which is like a three day his way. Bull, who he's probably proclaimed the truth. They are wrong, but he's nervous, and all of a sudden he sees begin to repent, and he sees frustrated. <laughs> Actually, is what Jonah's do.
and call for repentance. And if you repent, God will show you repent. God will show you grace. And then he sees repentance. And here's with attention in this text comes. I read this, and I, I believe when you read this, I think often. We go, Jonah. I'm not. I'm. I. I, I don't. I. I don't want Jonah. Well, the truth is, you are. I am. One author says it like this. He says, a Jonah lurks every Christian Empty solidarity. How how often do you see people? And not only do, but in truth. Heart to that to those people to the brokenness of that situation as too messy I don't I don't really that Tim Kelly, pastor, says it like this. He says, when we look at people who have bubbled into their lives, maybe about we say things like, ah, serves them right. Or we mock them on social media and we say, What kind of imbecile says something like this? When we see people of the other political party defeated, we 
And this is all a way of from So let me ask you a question. What are the things that you are more like Jonah? How do you react when you're driving down the road? Maybe you, you pull into a neighborhood and you see that Republican or that Democrat sign in a neighbor's yard. Maybe you don't go and get out of your car and cuss and scream and pull it out of the yard. But what do you think in your heart and in your head? Oh, man, they're just an idiot. How could they ever vote for that person? Not only could they vote that way, but they're telling me to vote that way. How could they be a Christian? Right? I mean, let's just be honest. You have probably thought something like that. And if you haven't, praise be to God. And I mean that. We see these politicians and we just go, we put on our little Christian ties and we go, you can't vote for them and be a Christian. You can't. You, 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 there's, there's just, you never convinced me that you could. And I know what we say. We, we, we make excuses. Well, this policy here and this policy there. But how do we see them as people? Do we just see them as a platform or do we, do we look at the individual and go, they need compassion. They, they need love. They're a person just like I'm a person. What about this? The, the person who, who put, you know what a Facebook frame is? So you have this profile picture. It's round on Facebook. And then I guess Facebook at some point um, decided that we can make ourselves a billboard. And so they created this thing called a frame that goes around your picture. And man, you can put, I, you know, the frame could be pretty and I love red trucks or, you know, Rocky Top. That's probably out there a couple times right now, right? Sorry for you Alabama fans. Apologize. But, I'm <laughs> but here's the deal. Like, this Facebook frame can, can say a lot of different things. And when you're scrolling through your social media, and that super liberal or that super conservative has something on their Facebook frame, I mean, you just roll your eyes and go, man, this guy is a jerk. Like, I mean, th is this where our heart is? When we, when we lean into these moments and we think about people, do you think that somehow you're better than them? Because you have the correct worldview or a better voting policy. I want to lean in really quickly to some words that Jesus gives us. So Jesus is kind of entering into this verbal spar with a lawyer in Luke chapter 10. And they get involved in this conversation about loving our neighbor, meaning those who might be different than us, 
right? Those who might vote differently than us, look differently than us, have different beliefs than us. And this is a key essence in Jonah's struggle and a key essence in my struggle and in your struggle as well. And so I want to lean into this text, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 30. They basically ask before I read this text, hey, who's our neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was was kind of going down that road, and when, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And and so likewise, a a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Two religious leaders. But then a Samaritan, pause, the the dirt of the earth, as these people would have seen it. The people who, they might as well be Ninevites. Like, these aren't real folks. And you'll see it at the end. He won't even say the guy's name. But a Samaritan comes as he journeyed, and he came to where he was, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. He had to cancel soccer practice, right? He had to cancel that meeting, that lunch appointment, that whatever. He had to, I mean, it got messy, it got ugly. He had to do something. And he set him on his own horse and took him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. So not only goes out of his way on day one, but here's day two. And he pays for it. He says, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus says. And the lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Let me ask you this. Who are you? Are you the priest? Are you the Levite? Are you the Samaritan? Maybe another way is at your funeral. I know we love thinking about our funerals. At your funeral. What will they say? And I'm not talking about the preacher who gets up because that guy's always going to say something nice about you, right? The worst person in the world, they're going to be like, well, you know, he made a good meatloaf, right? <laughs> but I, I'm talking about the people in the buffet line or, you know, signing the, the guest book and they whisper, you know, this person was a jerk. You know? You know what I'm talking about. What, what, what do they say? Do they say, man, I, that person was the Samaritan? I mean, they, they went above and beyond at every turn. A question that I, I ask myself, and it breaks my heart to think about the answer sometimes, is what will our kids say? If I walked up to Micah and, and Maggie and I read them the story and I said, guys, would you see me as A, B, or C, priest, Levite, Samaritan, and if I could get them to understand that priest and what that is, and a Levite, and all those things, but would they see me as the person who has compassion for those who are broken and hurting? 
or where they see me as the person who's just really too busy, and so I'm going to cross on the other side of the road so I don't have to deal with that mess. How can we begin to push away from this mindset like Jonah's and begin to model one after Jesus? That's, that's the question this morning. Like at the end of this story of Jonah, we, we, we've seen the ups and the downs in his life, and we get to the end of this story, and our hero is not Jonah. And I need you to know, scripturally, if you're looking at the Bible and you're going, our hero is David, our hero is Abraham, or our hero is anyone other than Jesus, you're not reading the Bible correctly. Because every single, a man after God's own heart, David, is a murderer and an adulteress. That's a man after God's own heart. That's who David is. So I'm not raising my son to be like David. I'm raising my son in hopes to look towards Jesus and be more like Jesus. I, I don't want to grow up and, and become an old man and look back and go, I was a lot like Jonah. I want to look to the, the example that God has laid out before me and praise be to him. I hope that his spirit through me will turn from those ways, that, that, that depravity of my heart and go, I can be like you because you make me like you. So how, how do we push away from Jonah and, and lean in to Jesus? Verse 6, Jonah 4, verse 6. says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant, and it made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. Isn't that true? Don't we love God's blessings? Man, we just, when God's blessing comes, man, we're just, we're all about it. You ask me in that moment if I'm a person of compassion, I'm like, yes, but absolutely I am, because I got God's blessings, right? But what happens the next day? But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant. So it withered, and when the sun rose, God appointed a a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and he asked that he might die. I mean, that was extreme, right? Like a cup of water, air conditioning system. Nope, that he might die. And he says, it is better for me to die than to live. God says to Jonah, do, do you well to be angry for the plant? He says, yeah, yeah, I, I, I do well to be angry Angry enough to even die, and this is the primary focus of the text. This is, this is where everything comes to the surface. And the Lord says, you pity. This word in Hebrew is to show compassion. You showed compassion to the plant, for which you did not labor, and nor did you make it grow which came into being in, in just one night, and it perished in just one night. And should I not pity, should I not have compassion on Nineveh, that, that great city, 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left hand, and also much cattle. Right here we see on full display that God is calling on Jonah to see that his compassion only exists when he is fully dependent on whatever he receives when he gives it. 
You, you see what I'm saying? He had compassion on this plant, not because of the plant, but because of what the plant was doing for him. We have a tendency when we go on short-term mission trips, when we go to Guatemala, to go and, and, and love on some people who, in our eyes, are, are kind of living a, a lesser-than life, if we're going to be honest. Like they're sleeping on dirt floors. They don't have central heating and, and cooling. They, they don't have clean water. They don't have all these things. And if we're not careful as missionaries, when we go to this place, we can go, ah, why don't you come and be like us? Right? I'm going to have compassion on you and give you all the things you don't have. And in return, I'm going to get so much more out of this trip. Because it made me feel good to do something for you. Now, listen, there's nothing wrong with feeling good from giving compassion. That is not what God is telling us is wrong. What God is telling us is wrong is the gift of compassion is not dependent on the results. And he outlines that by bringing Nineveh into the equation. Because God shows Nineveh compassion. 120,000 people and cattle. Let me ask you this. If you're the creator and you created this world, the world rebelled against you, strike one, and they continued to move forward and rebel against you and you're continually giving them ways that point back to you to show them here's how you should operate. Not because I'm some narcissistic, broken, deist picture of a God you could ever imagine. No, but because I know that's what you were created for, and when you function the way that you were created for, you will find the most purpose. But when you do that, everything will work. And here's God saying, these people are rebelling against me. They're not following my ways. I'm going to show the compassion. What does he have to gain? Nothing. Nothing. This is the glorious picture of God showing us compassion. One, one author says it like this, giving us some context of the time. He says, ancient philosophers spoke of the love of benevolence. This, this meant doing good and helpful things for people, even if you didn't like them. It was an exercise of the will. It meant performing love actions, even if your heart was not drawn out in affection for someone. In contrast, there was the love of attachment. These philosophers talked about it this way. And he says, in which you loved someone because your heart was bound to them in attraction and loving desire. And this is the picture of why this text and why the character of God and his compassion should make our hearts explode because Jonah is saying, I have compassion on things and on people when there's something in it for me. And God's saying, no, we have compassion. You should have compassion when there's nothing in it for you. And God says, I'm not going to just talk about it. I'm going to show you. So how do we begin to understand? We look to how God showed us. We look to his son. Jesus. And I, I want to let the text speak for itself. So, I, again, I want his words to, to be what move because those are the only words that change our hearts. And so I, I'm going to read a lengthy portion of text here. And, and I know it can be monotonous. 
And, and it could be one of those things where you kind of maybe just drift and don't pay attention, but I really want to urge you to lean in. Because for us to fully understand what God is saying here about compassion with nothing in return, we need to see what he modeled for us in this. And maybe when we can see the picture, maybe when we can begin to just get a a glimpse of the glory of compassion that God is calling us to, then maybe, just maybe, we as believers can leave this place and we can be a people who are changed rather than just a people who got a good service. Matthew chapter 27. This, this is Jesus who, who's been arrested and he's now brought before Pontius Pilate, a Roman official. It, sa- it says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd one prisoner, whoever they wanted. And they had then an, a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who, who do you want for me to release to you? Is it Barabbas, a notorious criminal? Or is it Jesus, who's called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. So the governor again says to them, which of the two do you want for me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas! Pilate said to them, then then what shall I do with Jesus, who, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified! He said, why? What, what, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, let him be crucified! Let him be crucified! Let him be crucified! A couple of verses later, 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him. And they took the reed and they struck him on the head. And when they mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and let him be crucified. And as they went out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon that compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. And when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Flipping over to Luke 23, Verse 27, it says, And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming 
when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other criminals, two others, excuse me, who were criminals, who were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull there, they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus says, after all of that mocking and scorn and shame and the crowds around, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's compassion. That Jesus would endure all of that, as Romans says, even while we are still sinners. He came for you. He came for you. He came for me. He shows us compassion with nothing to gain. Here's what Paul says about this in Romans 3, beginning in verse 23. He says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace, by Jesus' grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a, the, the atoning victim, the, the one who would take all of God's wrath and sin from the world and shame from us and put it on Himself to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus when we can begin to grasp that picture of compassion that not just a person not just someone died for you The Creator died for you. Like He didn't have to leave His throne. Philippians says He humbled Himself and came down as a, as a child. Like to be reared by the creation that rebelled against you. And then He lived His life knowing that one day this would happen. And He did it all for Many people to still say, I don't care about you. You don't exist. And this is the compassion that he shows us. And he says, don't worry about how people vote in the way that you judge them. Show them compassion. Don't worry about their Facebook frames. Show them compassion. And yes, God's judgment will come upon many in the end days. But as Christians, that shouldn't be like a moment where Jonah builds a tent, gets some popcorn, and watches people burn in hell. That should be a moment that breaks our hearts. Like, we, we need to live with this reality and this understanding that people will eternally be in torment 
in agony. If you and I don't do what God's called us to do. Don't grab a chair and watch the show. Grab a Bible, know his word, and love people by leading them in the gospel, by loving him, by loving others, and investing in his kingdom. I read a quote from earlier, and I didn't finish it. I want to to finish it now. It says, A Jonah lurks in every Christian's heart, whimpering his insidious message of smug prejudice, empty traditionalism, and exclusive solidarity. He that has ears to hear, let him hear and allow the saving love of God, which has been outpoured in his own heart, to remold his thinking and social orientation. I know this is a heavy message. But it's a message that we need to hold dear to our hearts. Sometimes our church gatherings are these overwhelming, encouraging kind of worship parties. And other times, we've got to come face to face with some difficult realities. But I believe the truth is this difficult reality should point us to parties and grace and glory. Because God has said, look what I have done to model for you compassion. Now come and trust in me and follow in me. And I will give you a new spirit and allow you to push forward and model that same compassion to this broken and hurting world. That coworker you work with that's struggling with this disease that they've recently been diagnosed with. That family member that you know that is just having a difficult time. That job your friend just lost. Whatever it is in your life, you have a person that God has brought near to you. And God is saying, look towards me and the compassion that I give. Now go and model that. Because what does he say? He, he says that we, in our love, will point others to him. How will they know that you are my disciples? By the way you love. Don't be like Jonah and get a seat and just wait for people to burn. Like push the seat back and let's get to work. Like let's do this. Like let's be a church about people. Pointing them back to Jesus, because it's like Pastor Jeremy said last week, that Penn and Teller quote. Like, we, we could be some of the most hateful and hurtful people if we know the secret to life is Jesus, and yet we turn around and we don't tell anybody about it. I mean, we're terrible if that's the, the, the case, because we're scared of how somebody's going to judge us. We're scared of what's going to happen in this world. We're nervous about, we don't know enough, and, but the reality is you know enough to accept Jesus, so you know enough to tell somebody else about Jesus. You've got it. I promise you, if you've accepted Jesus Christ today, church, you have what it takes. This isn't like some algebraic equation that you can't remember from sixth grade. It's literally one plus one equals two. You're a sinner separated from God. Jesus came in. You accept him. Boom, there's two. Your life. You're saved. That's it. That's all you got to know. Repent, believe, you're in. That's it. And if people want more questions, you go, hey, let's, let's talk about that. Maybe, maybe I got a friend who knows some more answers, or let's, maybe don't Google it. But there's some, you know, there's some people you can talk to. There's some ways you can figure out some answers. It's not that difficult. Our Christian life is not about coming into these walls and being comfortable. It's not. 
We gather to scatter. So when we gather together, it's to come together and encourage each other, lift the body of Christ up, pray with these families we talked about this morning. But the ultimate goal is for them to go out and make disciples. And we can't make disciples if we do not show compassion. Don't be a Jonah. Be like Jesus. And look to model compassion. Every week, I try to give us a next step. Maybe there's someone in this room this morning that you've never heard the gospel before, or maybe it's, it's the first time that you're hearing it this way, and, and the Spirit's just moving in your heart, and you're going, man, I, I want that. I, I want to see that in my life. I, I want to become a follower of Christ. It's a simple step. Repent, meaning turning from who you are and your sins, excuse me, and believe in Jesus, you're saved, just like that. I'd love to talk with you afterwards. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. We've already got four or five signed up for it, and praise be to God, there can be more, because we got water. And so maybe you're going, hey, I've never been baptized in accordance with Scripture, and I've never come before the church and said, I'm, I'm, I'm a new believer in Christ. We can dunk you in a couple of weeks. And you can stand in front of the church and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe, whatever it is, there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. You can scan that. I'd love to pray with you, talk with you, get in contact with you after the service or later this week. The band's going to come up. And I just want to spend just a moment or two preach, uh, praying over us before we go into this last song. You have a next step this morning. Everyone needs compassion. And we find it in Jesus. And then he tells us once we found it, go tell others. Let me pray. I thank you for breaking my heart so that I can see you for removing the scales of my eyes. Jesus, I, I pray for your presence in this room. I pray for those who are struggling to see that they are like Jonah. But God, I I trust that your word will draw them near and reveal to them that they don't have to be. That you've got a better way. That we can trust in you. And although we may disagree with people's stances in this world, with politics, sexual identity, and more, we don't have to be hateful in the way that we disagree. But we can show compassion and love. And we can point them to the truth through our actions and our words and the way that we treat them as individuals. Help us to engage with people in a way that makes them go, what is different about you? 
usually Christians are blank. But you're different. God, allow, allow us to, to be more like the Samaritan in that parable where we're less focused on the busyness and the to-do list and the things that we've got to do and more open and receptive to ways that we can serve and invest in your kingdom. Help us to become less so that you can become more. Help us to be servants who are not boastful and prideful, but are humble and meek. Help us to love this city. God, draw our hearts closer to you. Help us to see that you are mighty and good to save. It's all these things I pray and I plead the blood of Jesus over everyone in this room. And God's people said,